Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm your host, Fulia Punar. I'm here today with Jennifer Kelly to talk about her book, Invited to Witness, Solidarity Tourism Across Occupied Palestine, published by the Duke University Press in 2023. Thank you so much, Jenny, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Fulia. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Me too. So I'd like to start with learning about your background. Could you tell us about your background, how you ended up conducting your research on this topic, how you came to write this book? Of course. So I I would say that I sort of embarked on the the early iterations of this project, even in undergrad. So I'm currently um, an associate professor at Santa Cruz, UC Santa Cruz in Feminist Studies and Literature, but I did my undergrad here in feminist studies, or I'm a faculty in feminist studies and critical race and ethnic studies, and I did my undergrad in feminist studies and literature. Um, and what I had studied in undergrad um, was I essentially did a lot of work around tourism and a lot of work around comparative colonialisms. In in both of my majors, as an undergrad, I was um, routinely introduced to Edward Said's work. So I was routinely um, reading usually the introduction to Orientalism across most of my classes. I I'd studied a lot of post-colonial theory. And when I was taking those courses, um, there was a very um, sustained and curious uh, omission, really, of, of any sort of further context on Said. So we would read, read parts of Orientalism, but never um, talk about Said as Palestinian. We would never talk about Palestine um, in any of my classes. And I was sort of troubled by this omission and um, went to grad school after working on a project on, on colonial and tourism, colonialism and tourism in undergrad and went to grad school at NYU and for my master's to, um, to, to really take seriously what became more of a sort of study of the omission of Palestine and American studies. So at NYU and my master's, I, I was working between Middle East studies and American studies And I would have classes that were on U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East and still didn't deal with Palestine. And then I had, um, you know, classes with Ella Shohat that were on Palestine. And then I had classes in anthropology on ruins and ruination with with Ann Stoller. And so I worked basically across those departments between the new school and NYU on on U.S. Christian Zionism is what I first started studying. So this is kind of, so that it began 
early sort of studies of tourism and colonialism. And then in grad school, I studied U.S. Christian Zionism and the political economy and representational practice of U.S. Christian Zionism. And such a big part of that is tourism because they, um, you know, will ho- Israel will host for free senators to come to to um, what, and they'll basically come and say things like on the Senate floor, they'll say, you know, I went, I didn't, I went to, to Israel and I saw the West, I didn't see the West Bank. I saw Judea and Samaria. And so there's very, um, very routine and centralized use of tours, political tours, Zionist tours as part of, um, fostering Christian Zionism. And, because Christian Zionism, I felt, was such an under, sort of understudied, um, hugely influential part of the Republican voting bloc, and tourism was so central to it. So I started with this project for my master's thesis. And then when I went to uh, the PhD at UT Austin, I um, wanted to, I, I went there with the sort of idea that I would be studying, um, doing the PhD on Christian Zionism. And when I started to think more about um, these forms of tourism, the use of, of tourism, Christian Zionist tourism, um, I wanted to better understand what I was initially sort of in the early phase of the dissertation positioning as Palestinian responses to Christian Zionist forms of tourism. So I had proposed for the dissertation um, that sort of instead, once I got there, instead of, of doing this project on Christian Zionism, which I'm actually going to return to for the second book, but in this first beginning of the dissertation, instead of doing um, that project, I wanted to really think more about how um, Palestinian organizers, tour guides, community members were um, responding to forms of Zionist tourism. So I initially had proposed the project as a sort of um, divided by chapter around, for example, Christian Zionist tours and then radical anti-colonial and anti-Zionist Christian pilgrimage or LGBT birthright um, and queer delegations as a response um, and or sort of Zionist afforization, which some of this shows up in the book, but um, and then sort of all of harvesting and planting as a response. And so I had planned it this way. Um, but as I sort of tell my t- students all the time that dissertation proposals are like fictive and they will change. Right. So I, um, I had planned it that way. And then when I started my preliminary dissertation research um, and went to Palestine and began sort of interviewing tour guides and talking um, to organizers who planned these trips, um, this, the story changed and it became a much longer, um, history of the emergence of solidarity tourism as a strategy in Palestine. So instead of positioning, um, any, any of the tours as sort of responses to Zionist forms of tourism, when I would ask tour guides sort of how their work began and, and what kind of work they did, they would talk about the beginning of this work in first intifada delegations. So the the reference, which I expected to be the sort of Zionist forms of tourism, and I also expected there to be sort of references to other kinds of delegations in like Cuba or Nicaragua or different places, it actually became a much more localized, um, self-referential like history writing around the transition from first 
first intifada delegations to today's solidarity tours. And so the story I began to tell in the dissertation um, traced that. And so when I, when I wrote the dissertation, it was, I sort of began the story in um, with the Oslo Accords because I was talking about the professionalization of, of tourism and the, um, and the, uh, establishment of the Palestinian Authority and its Ministry of Tourism and the, the role that had in solidarity tourism. And then when I did the dissertation defense, um, a lot of that conversation was about sh- reshaping the project to sort of start the story earlier and start with the first Intifada delegations. And um, so then it shifted after that. And then it shifted some more during my postdocs um, with some manuscript workshops that changed the order of the chapters. Um I was telling a sort sort of much more um, chronological story in terms of when the tour narrations began instead of sort of starting with the first and to follow delegations and what happened um, and what sort of became institutionalized as a practice during those early tours and what sort of persists. So eventually it turned into this, this um, iteration and, uh, and and became a, a, a sort of long grounded history of the present around what what has resulted in solidarity tourism as a, becoming a strategy um, and and a sort of industry in Palestine and it's, and really I think what has has come through more now is the sort of why like why the turn to tourism why tourism as a strategy and so much of that is about. Um, Palestinians not being constructed as reliable narrators of their own condition. And so the tour guides do so much work to intervene in those kind of assumptions that tourists bring with them and also intervene in tourists sort of desire for, for evidence to, to show them that evidence not only abounds and has long been in the historical record, but also that so much of this request for evidence centers on um, who is constructed as, as capable of providing evidence. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. And um yeah, as you mentioned, it's it changes so much, right? When you're in the field, everything that you go through just affects it so much. So um can you give us a bit more information on what solidarity tourism is? What forms of activities can it include in occupied Palestine particularly? Of course. So I use solidarity tourism as a, as an umbrella sort of term for um, many different types of tours that are um, working to cultivate a uh, familiarity and understanding of a co- of a particular cause on the part of the tour guides and then um, tourists sort of desiring more information and and wanting to, to get plugged in in different ways um, but sometimes those tours are those tourists are not already sort of con- don't already conceive of themselves as activists and they are, um really honest about knowing very little and wanting to learn more sometimes tourists are long-time activists and have come to palestine many times sometimes tourists are coming to palestine for the first time um and trying to connect uh work across the struggles they've been involved in so there are really multiple forms of tours and multiple forms of tourists um the tours range from seven to ten day uh delegations or tours with multiple different sites and cities and villages. Um, Some of them are uh, 
tours of city centers in the West Bank. Some of them are tours of um, villages across historic Palestine. Um, so inside um, Israel's 1948 borders, some are multiple different kinds of tours of Jerusalem. So um, bus tours of East Jerusalem, walking tours of the old city, walking tours of West, the Western part of occupied Jerusalem. Um, some are virtual tours. So in the, in the chapter on Gaza, those are on virtual tours uh, or those, the tours described in that chapter are virtual tours. Um, and some are really day trips, like people who are sort of, consider themselves to be backpacking in Israel who come to a tour of Hebron for um, two hours or a tour of, of Nablus for two hours. So um, they range from really uh, a one particular walking tour to a multiple day, multiple um, sort of themed delegation. And then in it, within the delegations, those are, can also be themed. So some of them are olive harvesting or olive planting initiatives. Some of them are, um, uh, artist delegations, political prisoner delegations, labor delegations. So one thing that I kind of return to over and over again in the book is that there is no, there is no one solidarity tourist and there's no one solidarity tour guide. So I think the, um, I think there's a tendency to sort of assume that we know why different solidarity tourists come to Palestine. And, and what I show throughout is that sort of every tour has um is made up of of people coming for multiple different reasons and a lot of a lot of the tours also include diaspora palestinians from the diaspora who who can only return in this sort of truncated form right uh, and who and that's only if they are allowed in in the first place so a lot of the tours include diaspora palestinians who are sort of forced to experience their homeland as a tour or as a tourist and so they too are are part of this category so it's it's a it's a category that falls apart when you when you analyze it um which i think is really important because i think it's a it's a category that gets taken for granted a lot yeah yeah so um you wrote this book in a more or less chronological fashion and you show how solidarity tourism has been taking various shapes throughout the history you're also saying that it's um the modern form of it uh, kind of occurred through the Oslo uh, Accords. And can you give us a general sense on how and when solidarity tourism has emerged? Why has it emerged during that time? And what shapes did it take over time since then? Mm -hmm, absolutely. So I start the book with um, uh, archival analysis of the tours that happened during the first intifada. So these were much more sort of clandestine um, tours. They were publicized in the sense that, um, you know, in the archives, I, I did most of my research for that chapter in the Freedom Archives in San Francisco. And in the archives, you see sort of advertisements for those tours, but the tours in practice um, were uh, characterized by a, a sort of um, a secrecy or sort of clandestine relationship to to touring Palestine. So um, the delegates would often sort of talk about the um, shape and form of how those tours worked in a context in which those tours were very criminalized um, and talk about sort of punishment of hosts in the wake of their delegations. They would talk about 
um, different kinds of, of forms of, of tourism that don't happen on contemporary delegations, like visits to hospitals, right, to see, um, sort of to witness Palestinians um, who experience the, the, the deeply violent um, state practice of Israel. And, I, and what I talk about is the way that um, contemporary solidarity tours have worked against a couple of things. So one, I think, is uh, working against this kind of voyeurism that is wrapped up in, in something like a hospital tour, um, but also working against the kind of desire that tourists have to sort of stay in Palestine. Um, a lot of the times, a lot of the things tourists hear over and over again is your work is not here. Your work is at home, where your sort of complicity is more entrenched, where your movement work um, can be felt more in a more sort of um, urgent way, right? So they're they're unlike being asked to come as protective presence, as historically been the case with the um, with the with solidarity movements and organizing in Palestine. Um, solidarity tourists now are very much being asked to be tourists and to be tourists of a particular kind, right? To have a truncated visit, to go home and do their work from home. And so what I, what I do in the first chapter is sort of detail these earlier delegations, but also detail what these delegate, like what persists from those delegations. So while hospital tours, for example, don't, um, and sort of used to be like a standard stop on these tours, Um, what does persist is a sentiment that is um, very much like contingent on witnessing to believe everything about the violence of Israeli occupation. So the, the sort of rhetoric in terms of report backs of, I, I couldn't believe it until I saw it, or I needed to see it to believe it, or, um, it was one thing to read about it and another thing to see it. So all of these kinds of, of narrative tropes and, and rhetoric around um, evidentiary weight being tied to witnessing happens a lot on those first intifada delegations and happens today too. And tour guides routinely sort of intervene in that, in that relationship to witnessing. And so what I do in the second chapter to sort of trace how it's shifted um, is that the second chapter details solidarity tourism in the wake of the Oslo Accords. So um, solidarity tourism in the wake of the establishment of the PA and its Ministry of Tourism. Um, One of the tour guides and organizers I interviewed would talk about this as sort of, if you're um, ostensibly working toward a statehood, you would need the sort of resources of of state in terms of tourism, right? So like... um, building toward a potential state and in, and in that building toward a potential state uh, incorporating analyses of how to be tour guides of your own state, right? Tour guides of your own place. And, and other tour guides I interviewed were very much about, very much spoke about how, while the Oslo Accords um, made their work uh, more sort of visible um, it and more possible in some ways. It also was work that began immediately in the wake of all, the Oslo Accords and immediately as a critique of the Oslo Accords. So immediately as a critique of of 
the way that the Oslo Accords were um, frag- further fragmenting Palestinian land, further facilitating more Israeli land grabs, further facilitating more displacement. And so I talk about that in the second chapter about how um, the Oslo Accords both enabled the sort of contemporary way that that solidarity tourism functions, um, but that at the moment of that enabling was also a moment of deep critique of the Oslo Accords and a, and a deep critique of the way that the Oslo Accords um, evacuated sort of uh, understandings about Palestinian liberation, right? That it was not then, and then uh, so the tour guide sort of worked alongside that critique to show tourists um, to sort of intervene in the, in the sort of celebration around um, the Oslo Accords for tourists and show them how the how they were actually like further dividing the land and further um, separating Palestinian communities from one another. And so that chapter, the second one is really an analysis of the tours that look specifically at the fragmentation of Palestinian land in the wake of the Oslo Accords. Yeah, so um, you mentioned uh, in the book the U.S. involvement in many of these uh, cases and also um, how the tourists themselves are often coming from the U.S. So can you tell us a bit about this kind of an intricate relationship and how have the solidarity tourists and tourist guides have been um, navigating or trying to manage this kind of a role that the U.S plays on these relations between violence, tourism, colonialism? Absolutely. So one of the things that was really um, important to me about this project was that it was a project on Palestine that was um, really centered in American studies. And American studies is so much the study of U.S. empire, right? And so I think part of of working toward a study of Palestine within American studies, um, for me, emerged out of that omission that I talked about earlier and the sort of uh, my investment in um, the importance of the study of Palestine for those who uh, ostensibly write study and, and write about U.S. empire and U.S. foreign policy. And so... Um, there are several things happening with with the relation with this relationship with the the sort of uh, way to to think about how solidarity tourism functions in Palestine. So one is that, like you said, many are U.S. tourists, um, so they are coming to Palestine to um, learn more about learn more about Zionism, learn more about Israeli state violence, and you learn more about US, the U.S. facilitating Israeli state violence. So at every turn, tourists are not only told, your work is not here, your work is at home, because so much of that work at home is about, um, is about pedagogical work, around educating friends and colleagues about U.S. foreign policy in, and U.S.'s role in in displacing Palestinians. Um, some of that work is all, also about um, allowing, enable, creating the space really for, to allow for tourists to analyze their own role in what they're witnessing. So for U.S. tourists and, and other differently positioned tourists, but 
but particularly if we're talking about the U.S., U.S. tourists are asked to sort of witness in Palestine um, Israeli state violence that they are oftentimes coming to witness in order to corroborate in terms of their own report backs and their own sort of movement building. So they're asked to, to rethink that on tours. They're also asked to think really carefully and critically about U.S. state violence or U.S. support of Israeli state violence and U.S. state violence um, to think about the to think about weapon sales, to think about U.S. funding, um, Israeli state practice, to think when they sort of go on tours um, in places that have um, experienced tear gas, right? They're talking about the tear gas being made in Pennsylvania. They're constantly turning the sort of tourist vision toward where and how this kind of violence um, is is concretized and how it moves and, and how the U.S. supports what Israel does. And then I think also at the same time, they're on some tours and they're all, the, all they're very different. So um, talking about them in this sort of general, in a generalized way is always the most accurate. So sometimes on some of the tours, tourists are also being asked to not... Um, to not jettison critiques of the U.S. as they understand critiques of Israel. So, for example, um, in one of the the chapters, I talk about this moment where a group of U.S. tourists um, is being led uh, around Bethlehem, and and they're sort of gawking at the wall and um, outraged at what they're witnessing, and the tour guide asks this particular tourist, um, you know, the tour guide's talking about the, about place names and how um, Israel writes over Palestinian place names and when they expropriate land and, and um, change those indigenous place names um, to uh, ones that sometimes resemble them, but are really papered over. So uh, they were talking about this in the context of, of, um, this tour in Bethlehem and the tour guide asked the tourist, you know, this, this is in the U.S. too, like, where are you from? And the tourist said, Bethesda. And the tour guide asked her, well, what do the indigenous people of Bethesda um, call their land? Like, where, what are they doing? What, what are they, how are they organizing? And she said, oh, well, they're all dead. There's no one to ask which was profoundly wrong, right? She's only 30 minutes away from, from the, the sort of space where um, the Piscataway tribe meets and discusses and organizes and mobilizes. And so it was this complete um, outrage at Israel um, and at the sort of Israeli state violence that she's witnessing and a simultaneous like refusal to consider um, her own role as a settler in somewhere like Bethesda, right? Her own role as a settler um, in the U.S. and her own um, lack of knowledge of of anything that that is a is happening right in her backyard, essentially. Um, and so, I think that the, a lot of times the tourists are really asked to not just sort of take in what they're witnessing, but they're also, and not, not just think about U.S. complicity, 
but also think about these shared technologies of violence, these shared settler strategies of removal and displacement, and not just in a way that's comparative in terms of, of how can we think about both of these sites as sites of settler colonialism and sites of displacement, but also to think about them as relational in terms of how do we think about how these settler states uh, learn from each other, develop strategies with each other, develop technologies with each other, and in turn, how do we think about um, solidarity and coalition uh, and indigenous organizing and and resistance across those sites as well? So I think I think they're being asked to to rethink a lot on the tours, um, and then other times they're they're sort of coming there are also times where they're coming with a lot of this background and a lot of this knowledge. And then they're sort of asked to rethink what they think they're doing. So they, so they think that they're sort of delegates and they already have this knowledge and they're just sort of in Palestine to, to concretize some of it or make it more um, tangible and legible. And then, and then they kind of confront um, being perceived as a tourist in Palestine. And then that's sort of grappling with that too, because there's a lot of, of desire to to disidentify with the with the sort of moniker of tourism. So so I think they're being asked to rethink not only their positions, um, not only their sort of tax money and where their tax money goes, um, not only their mobility at the at the expense of of Palestinian mobility. So a lot of times they're able to tour places that their hosts cannot go and they're asked to think about that at every turn. Um, so they're, they're asked to sort of theorize and, and understand the segregation that they're ostensibly only there to critique. Like they're enacting the segregation they're only there to critique, um, are ostensibly there to critique. So I think there, there's a, a lot of grappling with U.S. foreign policy, U.S. empire, U.S.'s role in Israeli state violence, and then also U.S.'s um, internal displacement and and many different types of of colonial state violence that's shared between the US and Israel. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious on how the insistence on seeing uh, is also managed here. As you mentioned in the book, Palestinian displacement and suffering have so much evidence actually. Just on fourth and fifth of April two thousand twenty three, the Israeli forces attacked Palestinians in Al Aqsa Mosque and the videos are everywhere, the children being attacked, people worshipping being attacked. And this is nothing new for neither the Palestinians nor the international community. And Palestinians located in their occupied land and in diaspora themselves produce lots and lots of knowledge, some of which you are also engaging with in your book. Um, the writings, the cultural productions on their experiences. And you mentioned in the book there has been an unwillingness to cite Palestinians themselves and the Western tourists um, really this need to see for themselves. And you're doing a very good job in citing Palestinian literature and cultural productions yourself, by the way. It's very clear that you're consciously doing this against 
such a perspective too. So can you tell us a bit about this need to see for oneself, this often Western need to witness instead of learning from Palestinian resources directly? And what does it mean? What does it entail in terms of the power imbalances here? And also what happens to the outcome? How does the knowledge production coming from the very seeing, witnessing differ from the knowledge production uh, that is happening by, by, that is produced by the Palestinians themselves? Absolutely. So one of the central questions that I had in the dissertation and in writing the book was why tourism, right? Like why, why this turn to tourism? Why this um, repeat, why in Palestine in particular, does the, is there this repeated sort of um, suturing of witnessing to activism? Why does there have to be this element of witnessing in order to catalyze activism or justify activism or um, justify support for Palestinian resistance, right? So I, I, I came to sort of understand this as a, not a problem of evidence, but a problem of epistemology. And so not a problem where um, it's not that there's enough evidence because so much of this is, is around the assumption that that's the problem. So there's this like rhetoric of if Americans only knew, this rhetoric of um, if, if people only knew. And I think what this sort of ubiquity of evidence tells us is, that, is not that it, there's a problem around evidence and the circulation of evidence, but there's a problem uh, around um, treating Palestinians as reliable interlocutors and narrator, narrators of their own condition. And so what I call that in the book, um, in terms of how that sort of started in, or how that was evidenced in the, in the first Intifada delegations and persists in contemporary solidarity tours, is this way in which witnessing becomes an alibi for research. And so witnessing becomes a stand-in where I think a lot of times tourists um, don't, I think there's two things that ha are happening. One is that they, that sometimes tourists don't read this literature, right. Or cite this literature and end up citing only their own witnessing. And I think sometimes that is about, that is a strategic move on the part of the, the sort of delegate reporting back around knowing about the, knowing about those sort of racialized power differentials and, and operating within them very uncomfortably. So a lot of the tourists that I, I spoke with from those early delegations would talk about that um, as a problem that they um, were, were asked to witness and sort of grappled with that ask. And, and so there is a, I think more, there's a self-awareness around, around that sometimes as well. Uh, and then the other thing too, is that even when there is um, a heavy like engagement with Palestinian literature and Palestinian uh, theorizations of their own condition and historical work and archival work, um, there is a contention that it's something different to, to witness it. And I think that that is a, a similar problem where somehow the sort of experience corroborates what they have been reading in a, in a way that they would not need to witness another site in order to believe and in order to feel like those words are real and those descriptions of, of violence and displacement and exile are real. And so 
I think it's um, a, a, a big problem of citation. So I think one of the things that is um, really critical is to have um, a, re- a relationship with writing and with reporting back and with the kind of um, understanding of coming to a movement or coming to movement work through reading. So I think that's a, a critical thing is is just to be able to have um, a citational practice that cites Palestinians, that cites Palestinian scholars, that doesn't cite only um, a handful of well-known Palestinian scholars, right, but that has a breadth of Palestinian feminist authors, that has a breadth of multiple different analyses of different historical moments in Palestine, um, that has a, a a bibliography that is that honors all of that labor. I think that's crucial. I think witnessing can't stand in as an alibi for that. And I think the tour guides are also equipping tourists with resources. So they're also telling tourists what to read. They're also offering tourists books. They're also offering tourists literature, right? They're talking about authors. They're talking about writers. So it's so... Um, it's another sort of thing tourists are asked to grapple with not knowing. So not only are they sort of asked to grapple with not knowing um, about how settler colonialism functions where they live, but they're also asked to grapple with not knowing about Palestinian literature and assuming that their witnessing can stand in for reading. And so I think one of the, one of the um, works that really like um, really uh, puts this demand into words is the Palestine and Praxis Scholars for Palestinian Freedom um, call, right, which was um, really wrapped up in understanding what to do in the classroom around teaching Palestine and in our research. And it was in their words, right, they say, in our research, we will, we will include Palestine as a place worthy of substantive and historical integration into critical theory, not only as a case study of colonial examples, and will work to engage methods that highlight and elevate the voices and experiences of the places and moments we study over our own positions. And also has a clause about in our own work, we, in our own teaching and work, we will also have an understanding of indigenous movement work where we live and work. So I think that part of this really crucial um, refusal, I would say, to, to continue to selectively cite only certain Palestinian scholars or to sort of ignore these long, long traditions of, of Palestinian theorizations of displacement and of exile is part is wrapped up in part in what the what tourists are sort of there to learn. So I think that, that that's another moment where they come they come thinking they're there to just witness and report back and they learn that they're actually there that their work only sort of begins there and it was only catalyzed there and that their work is actually not only sort of organizing and doing more movement work back home but also reading and reading widely on on all of this the the literature that is not that is where evidence abounds, right? And so I think some of the moments of this are like, um, where one time in in I, the refugee camp, um, a tourist who had come back several times with the same tour guide was asking what happened to some of the sort of bullet-ridden school, the UN school, and the tour guide was talking about how it had moved. 
and she was disappointed. And he was like, why are you disappointed? Um, And she said, well, it would have been so good to show tourists for evidence. And he was like, look around you, there's evidence everywhere, right? So it's also about what gets construed as evidence. Like why, why tourists come to Palestine in search of evidence in the first place when evidence abounds in the historical record and when Palestinians have long narrated their history um, with evidence. So I think part of what an analysis of solidarity tourism affords is understanding why solidarity tourism is rendered necessary in the first place and what that has to do with epistemic violence that positions Palestinians as unreliable narrators, right, based on U.S. and Israeli and multiple sort of um, constructions of Palestinians and that are constructions of Palestinians that are deeply racialized. And so I think the the other sort of thing that happens in terms of of witnessing and needing to see it to believe it is that tourists are again asked on these tours to interrogate the kinds of assumptions they brought with them and the kinds of of um, the the kinds of what they thought they were in Palestine to do. And in the book, you say that um, solidarity tourism is ultimately uh, also about failure. So can you open that up a little bit in relation to you what you just mentioned? Yeah, so I, I write about that as an analysis of how so many tour guides would talk about their work and talk about how essentially if their work were successful it would result in the obsolescence of their work right like if they're if they could succeed um it would render the need for solidarity tourism obsolete and so part of part of what i try to analyze with solidarity tourism is is um is not around a question of success or failure because I think that I think there are a lot of ways, and this, this is the same way that I sort of talked about how um, the the assumption that there's a particular kind of solidarity tourist or a particular kind of solidarity tour guide. I think that is something like solidarity tourism can be an activist space is something that we like act like we already know what it is and sort of roll our eyes at and it's occupation tourism and we don't need to think about it much more more than that um which i write against in the book because to me that take really evacuates all analysis of the labor of the tour guides who are doing this work in spite of its fraught um asymmetries in spite of its uh the real difficult work of sort of dealing with tourists Um, and the work of research that goes into guiding a tour and all of the research and all of the sort of accumulating all of that knowledge and, and translating it in a way that's shareable in a two hour presentation, essentially. And so when I would talk to tour guides about their work, they would say in a very similar way that we do about teaching, they would say, you know, if I have a tour of 20 and I get through to five, that's a success. And so the way of, of sort of thinking about how we sort of pitch our, narratives, how we, uh, how we condense years and years of research into like 10 minute snippets, right? And 20 minute snippets and hour snippets and seven to 10 day snippets, right? So it's figuring out how to do that translating work. And so I think to, to, 
to say we already know what it is and that it's not worthy of study is to evacuate all of that, to really minimize all of that labor on the part of Palestinian tour guides. And then, so for me, it was really important to, to interview and talk to Palestinian tour guides and ask like, what does your labor look like? What is your, what is meaningful to you about this labor? Like what is difficult to you about this labor? What is it, what does it do? What do you hope it does? Um, and I think some of the things that, that sort of came through as I finished the book and, and worked through all of these different chapters from the first intifada delegations to the post Oslo fragmentation on tours to the tours of Jerusalem as multiply occupied, the multiple different kinds of, of tours of occupied Jerusalem to the tours, um, across historic Palestine to the virtual tours in Gaza what really came through was the ways that um, as one international tour guide that I interviewed um, described it, that Palestinians have a right to tourism. So I think the other thing that sort of gets um, received with like eye rolls is essentially is tourism thinking like we know what tourism is. We know what tourism does. It's always violent. It's always colonial. Um, And I think what, just to sort of circle back to where we started, I think when I was writing an undergrad, my project on tourism colonialism, it was exactly that, like an indictment of tourism as as following colonial past, which it does, and as voyeuristic, which it is. And I think that what a sort of study of solidarity tourism does is it looks at how it does traffic in some of these um, colonial ways, how it, it does deal with these histories of voyeurism and how it reshapes them and and asks and sort of presses tourism into the service of anti-colonialism in a way that demands something else of tourism something else than we think we already know and so what was really important to me was interviewing tour guides asking them what their work looked like and this also gets back to the sort of question before around seeing it to believe it and and asking Palestinians to continually provide evidence of their own displacement because what I refused to do as a researcher was ask tour guides to rehearse that displacement for me as a as a scholar right so instead of asking them about their histories of displacement I asked them about their work and what their work looked like and to me that was a, a feminist ethnographic practice that refused to to um, ask tour guides and ask Palestinians to re-narrate their trauma for me um, as a researcher, and I think they're constantly, constantly showing tourists that their expectation that tour guides will repeat and rehearse their trauma for them is a violent one, is a violent expectation. So I think sitting with the sort of labor of of tour guides, what it looks like, how it's shaped, um, how it shifts, how it's responsive to the different. Um, histories and, and past and presence of of state violence how it's how it's centered also around practices of joy and practices of pleasure and so i think one of the things um in terms of thinking about like Pal- that, that quote palestinians have a right to tourism was is in the gaza chapter because that um dealing with the virtual tours there's this moment where uh, banksy does this video um, like an installation or a, a video of his art or their art installations in um, in Gaza, and it's about and the video is like make Gaza your tourist destination, and it's it's a satire of of the possibility of tourism in Gaza, and it's about how um, you know it says things like 
they uh, like nestled in an exclusive community and then it'll have parentheses saying surrounded on all sides right like so it's it's this whole um mockery of the potentiality of tourism in palestine and the the gaza parkour team responded to it with a video of their own and they in, in that video they basically um debunk the idea that tourism is a joke and they say like we would love to host you and we would love to to show you around and we would love to be tourists but here's why we can't and they and so there are moments of of Banksy's installations where he has like a a military tower with swings that's turned into an amusement park swings and it's supposed to show the impossibility of play and the impossibility of leisure and pleasure under, under occupation. And then the Gaza parkour team video, they're doing like parkour off of those installations and, and really showing the, the very real possibilities of play and leisure and under occupation and also showing how there is um, a very real pride in place that happens through being a tour guide that in a context of a liberated Palestine, they would get to just be tourists, tour guides. They would get to just be tour guides. And so there's a moment um, in some of those virtual tours where tour guides or shop owners say, like, I would love to just be a tour guide, not a political tour guide, right? I would love to just, and that, so that, so I want to take seriously the notion that you would love to show someone around where you live in a, in a context of, liberation in a context of freedom of movement in a context of a world in which you control your own borders and you can invite people and you can host people and you can um traffic in all those tropes of tourism that we think we understand and that we think we um that are just you know disparaged in a lot of ways and what does it mean to sort of insist on the insist on tourism as a practice that that not only could serve anti-colonial purposes but tourism as a practice that um allows you to demonstrate pride in place that has been uh that that has been att- that the state that israel has attempted to erase right that israel has attempted to um make impossible so i think part of demanding return part of demanding a liberated palestine part of demanding um a vision of a kind of tourism that could function in the wake of of decolonization is an important imaginative practice that I think it has very real um, real blueprinting and real repercussions for what what is possible instead of what we think is impossible. Yeah, and that is a claim for the future too, right? These people are both archiving the past experiences of displacement while also imagining a future where the displaced can return. So can you tell us a bit about the future, the hope um, that is held here? Absolutely. I think so much of the the tours are are on the one hand, sort of satisfying that tourist um, desire for knowledge around contemporary and historical displacement. And at the same time, they're demanding return and they're demanding a right of return and they're demanding a return of of Palestinian refugees. They're demanding a um, world in which the movement and foreclose more mobility that tourists are witnessing is no longer right. I think there's so much wrapped up in the way that, that, um, that the tours function that is not just about the past and present, but deeply about the future. And I think that that is true, 
even in these kind of like um, in between moments of the tour. So a lot of times uh, you'll be on a tour bus driving from, for example, Beit Zahor, Bethlehem uh, to Hebron, and then you're passing um, terraced groves, right? And so the tour guide is telling the tourist, here you can see these like beautiful terraces, these terraces that that are specifically crafted to make sure that the agriculture isn't flooded, right? That are that are crafted with care, that are crafted with um, generational love, essentially. And the tour guides are, or the tourists are hearing that not not only to sort of debunk the Zionist claims that that. Palestinians didn't care for the land, which is, of course, a, a shared colonial trope to justify land expropriation um, in multiple different sites of settler colonialism. So not only to debunk that claim and show, of course, that Palestinians have long cared for the land, but also, I think, to show uh, a future of what it would look like, what the landscape would look like if Palestinians were allowed to cultivate their own land and allowed to live on their land and allowed to have the freedom of mobility and allowed to return to the places they love. So I think that there is um, an evidencing, like I think that's the kind of evidence that tourists witness when they go to Palestine is not is is the evidence of of displacement but and of state violence, but also the evidence of of thriving and growing and cultivating that Israel tries to foreclose and in every space where they aren't working to foreclose it, it grows. Right. So I think that the, the, the tourists witness the future of a liberated Palestine in each of these moments of in between and in the sort of moments of learning from Palestinians, what that liberation and what that return looks like. So a lot of the, the tours do that, a lot, a lot of the sort of collaborations, for example, between uh, Badil and, and Zahrot, like work to blueprint which return and work to think about what return would look like in that space. So while I think some of them are really concretely talking about liberation and return, um, from everything from the sort of collaboration on blueprinting villages for return and toward return to even the parkour team talking about like what tourism could look like to the, the, another example in that chapter is the, is a collaboration between um, a U.S. and Gaza universities around a, to, a to, Gaza 2050 um, vision that centers on tourism and what it would mean for the freedom of movement to have tour, a tour that goes from um, Gaza City to, to Jerusalem, right, and have not be obstructed through um, multiple checkpoints and and impossibilities of movement and foreclosed movement. So I think in each of these moments of the tour that are scripted and planned, and each of these in between moments, tourists are invited to witness the kinds of of displacement that they expected to witness in Palestine, but they're also invited to witness these worlds of, of pleasure and joy and liberation and futurity that are narrated to them through not only these moments of, of talking about different, different parts of Palestine that, that, um, that are, that show a Palestine, what a Palestine would look like without occupation, but also, the kinds of imaginings that happen through the tours and happen through the 
descriptions of of how tour guides and the people they bring to meet with tourists um, see their own futurity. I think tourists are routinely asked to, to to envision that as well, and not just think about what what they've been asked to to witness in terms of of historical displacement and present state violence, but also what they've been asked to witness about what Palestinian what a Palestine in the wake of liberation would look like and feel like and sound like. And I think one of the, the things that, that really evidences that is that we, um, my colleagues, Leila, Leila Sharif and Samdi Desen and I are working on um, Detours, a Decolonial Guide to Palestine in the, in the vein of, in the Detour series at Duke University Press that published um, the first one in the series was a Detours, a Decolonial Guide to Hawaii uh, by Bernadette, co-edited by Bernadette Gonzalez and, and Hokuai Kao. And they are the series editors now for the Detour series. And we're doing the one for Palestine. And we submitted a call for papers that was very much, um, that was about, that was thinking about tourism and, and thinking about decolonial tourism and thinking about the possibilities of, of tourism, thinking about the, the violences of tourism and also the possibilities of anti-colonial possibilities of tourism. And what we received from the CFP were so many visions of futurity, right? And so there were, of course, descriptions of tourism, descriptions of of state violence, um, descriptions of how tourism can can function differently, what we should demand of tour, tourist practices in Palestine, and then there were also speculative fiction on on Palestine in the wake of liberation. There were sort of pieces that reflected backwards on when Palestine was liberated, right? There were pieces that talk about return. There were pieces that talk about um, return and all its nuance. So new problems that emerge in, in, in the wake of, of liberation. And so I think that work is, is really um, there in, in even in tours that are ostensibly just touring the colonial present. Yeah, thank you. So Jenny, I'm uh, going to ask you another question on, and this will connect us to maybe the end of our conversation. But I'm seeing throughout this book that you are really trying to address the various the struggles of Palestinian people in navigating these difficult situations caused by the occupation. And you're trying to really comply with some of the things that they care about. You reflect on your own position, you consciously cite their literature, you consciously refuse to ask some questions, and you try to show the realities of solidarity tourism by neither romanticizing nor villainizing it. And your book has an open access version, which itself is a political action, of course, that many of us uh, justice-oriented scholars want to undertake at some point. So in my opinion, you're mediating a political message too through uh, your book, just like some of the tourist guides in your book. The Palestinian tourist guides invite the tourists to go to Palestine, learn about the occupation and the ways that Palestinian people want they uh, want them to learn, and then ask these uh, tourists to go back to their countries and do the work from there. Do you have a similar invitation for your readers? What kind of an action would you like your readers to take after reading this book, if any? Yeah, I love that question. I think, I think I, what I appreciate so much about that question is 
that I, I think we're not often asked to sort of dwell in the readership of the book beyond when we're sort of making a case in grants or in, you know, book proposals or whatever else about how it will be read. And so I think one of the things that I really, um, one of the ways that I really wanted the book to be used and the reason that I, I made it open access um, is that I learned so much from the tour guides that I interviewed and I, I learned so much from the tourists that I interviewed in terms of, of my own assumptions about, about them. Right. And in terms of, of um, what I learned through the research in terms of how it shaped to return to how we started, how it shaped the whole like chronology of the book and emphasis of the book and how it turned from this sort of response-based analysis of solidarity tourism to this much longer history of the colonial present. Um, that I think one of the, one of the ways that I hoped it would operate was not only for um, students and then in, in the sort of space of the classroom, because I think that's, that the space of the classroom can also get, devalued as not a political space. And I think that having works not only that are open access, but that deal this much with um, the sort of ethics of our research practices are really important for the classroom, not just for grad students, but for undergrads, for thinking about like how we design a research project and what kinds of questions we ask, what our questions communicate, what our questions ask our interlocutors to do or like live through, what our questions um don't ask or what the subtext of our questions are like what we are in a position what what our positionality um what the relationship between our positionality and the questions we ask are right like what is what can or can't be shared with us what what do we or do we not want to share with our readers so all those things i think are really important in a in a classroom context um also in terms of thinking just about how we analyze a subject um my uh mentor who was on my dissertation committee katie stewart um would talk about how to look at solidarity tourism prismatically so from multiple different perspectives from multiple different angles not at all to have a sort of um uh middle ground analysis of solidarity tourism but to be able to to understand that there's no singular answer for what solidarity tourism is and does or what the who the tour guide is or who the tourist is but looking at it prismatically in terms of how many different um ways can we describe the scene of the tour so i think that pausing enough to think about our research sites and subjects in that way is really necessary for students so i think in some ways the book is an invitation for um us to think about our our own research practices and the implications of our research practices and to think about how we sort of map a research project and what, and how that's always a choice and how to think about those choices um, and how to think about when the choices are available to us and when they're not right. Like I talk in the book about how so much was available to me um, that was not available to Palestinian researchers who, who try to, um, do research on their homeland and don't get and aren't allowed entry, right? So to think about our own our own space and our research projects um, and what that means 
in terms of what's possible, but also like the responsibility and accountability that that comes with that. Because I think the tourists are also asked, and I write about how the tourists are also asked to be tourists of a particular kind and to shoulder the responsibility and accountability that comes with that invitation. And so I think in thinking about research, we're also, I think the book's also an invitation to think about research practices and think about accountability in terms of research practices and and then I, I also wanted the book to circulate in a in an organizing way. So I, what I'm very pleased to see that um, you know a lot of delegations are, um, and this was part of the purpose of having it be open access. Um, delegation organizers are um, giving the link to um, delegates to prepare for their travel, um, because I think what the book one of the tour guides um, that. Uh, frames it this way is to, talks about how my book is a um, um, asks tourists to think about how they think, and so uh, Bahahilo, who's who's um, really central in the book, talks about this with tourists, and and I think being able to invite tourists to think about how they think before they come to Palestine um, is really important. I also think that the tours are designed almost always for non-Palestinians. And I think that I devote a lot of narrative space in the, um, in the chapter that deals with the tourists interviews mostly um, to the experience of being a Palestinian on a solidarity tour with a a majority of non-Palestinians. And when you are experiencing this tour, sometimes as the only but fleeting temporary and truncated return that you have to Palestine and often as the emissary for your family of other people who can't come and can't go back to Palestine. And so what it means to be in like a seven to 10 day situation where you're Palestinian and you're driving through your village, but you don't have time to stop because the tour is moving too fast to the next place, right? Or you're Palestinian and you're hearing tourists being sort of baffled and um, shocked at what you have seen as long in the historical record, not only in your own family, but in the literature. So what does it mean to sort of experience the space of a tour with other tourists who are positioned in that way? And I think that that needs to be um, much more um, accounted for on solidarity tours. So it's an invitation. I think the book is in many ways an invitation for tour organizers to honor the space of Palestinian um, tourists in quotes, right on the tour, um, who are only allowed to experience their homeland as a tourist. And so I think making space for that. I think the book's also an invitation for other spaces that we want to think about the many different ways tourism can function outside of of what of the limited ways we think about tourism um so yeah i think that it's it's i hope it i hope it serves as a sort of tool for understanding and and understanding really the importance of citational practice the importance of a a citational practice that's rooted in feminist studies that's rooted in anti-colonial studies a citational practice on in work on Palestine that's rooted in Palestinian studies, right, and Palestinian scholarship and literature. 
um, it's an invitation to just really think about what we're asking for and what we're saying when we want evidence, when we are looking for evidence, when we're compiling evidence and gathering evidence. Um, what's that? What that says about the evidence that's already extant and in existence. And I think it's an invitation to um, consider our, our consider really the space of a tour and the multiple different uh, relationships of every person in that space and the different mobilities of the people in that space and the different motivations. And so I think being able to write a book about something that you're calling, that you're naming, and then also disrupting like what belongs in that category or, or that that category itself is even functional, I think is a, is an, is also an invitation of sorts, like an invitation to, to be able to trouble all of the sort of categories we think with um, in order to to do deeply anti-colonial work, but deeply anti-colonial work that's also attendant to the multiple um, different things happening in the in the site of analysis. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking us through your book and your thinking. We have taken a lot of uh, your time now, so I will just move to my last question. What are you working on? You mentioned a little bit uh, your second project, but what are you working on now? Or what would, you, what would be the next book project that you have in mind? Absolutely. So now I am, um, yeah, the book's been out for a couple months. And so um, the last two years during the sort of um, finalizing publication um, processes of the book um, have been two years of um, of sort of finalizing Invited to Witness, um, two years of raising a little tiny baby who came, right? Uh, like I submitted the manuscript on the way to the hospital. So um, she's almost two now. So the the sort of my relationship to work has shifted in a lot of ways. Um, but I've been able to sort of on her naps and at night work on um, the second project, which is a collaboration with Leila Sharif at ASU and Sambeep Sen at Roscoe University. Um, and it is this, it has become this 350 page volume of um, under the sort of title of Detours of the Colonial Guide to Palestine, but divided into tours of place, um, divided into stories of place, uh, divided into multiple different sections um, with about 10 to 12 pieces in each section that not all, that range from love letters to recipes to field guides to speculative fiction to um, itineraries to tour itineraries to analyses of particular types of of tours and their relationship to state violence to um, translation work and familial histories and photo essays so it has become this um, really beautiful uh, archive of of one of the of a sort of response to one of the questions we had which in the CFP which was how um, do Palestinians lay claim to their homeland uh, in in amidst Israeli state violence? And so what we what we received back was just this overwhelming um, collection of of creative and critical work on 
imagining a liberated Palestine of basically di- of diagnosing an occupied Palestine and imagining a liberated one. And there's so much joy in that book. And there's so much, um, so much visioning of, of futures of liberation. And, and I think it, I'm so thrilled that I've been able to sort of turn to that project um, in the wake of this one, um, because there's so much that it does that can be used in in a way that like my book, for example, can't be used. Like there's so many ways that it can be used in a, in a classroom space. There's so many ways it can be used. It's very public facing um, that, that become that sort of spiral out into their own creative projects. And so um, I'm, I'm thrilled about that. And it's been a a real um, joy and pleasure to work on it with my co-editors who are also dear friends through the process. And so I think that that kind of being able to have the, the space, and this is because of, of where I am, this is because of UCSC and because of, um, you know, I submitted the manuscripts and my tenure file on the way to the hospital to have my daughter. And so because I have tenure, because UCSC um, really values uh, creative work, because we've made the case in critical race and ethnic studies, for example, for, creative projects and collaborative projects um, to be treated um, not as sort of side projects. I've been able to turn to that. Um, so I think it's, it also is something, it makes a case for that being the case at multiple different institutions, um, which it's not. But so I've been able to turn to that. So I haven't had to sort of immediately turn to the second monograph, the second sole authored monograph. Um which I will do after sort of detours detours is now submitted and we'll be working on the, that for a while. But when I turn back to my, my own research project for the second book, I'm going to finally return to the study of Christian Zionism that I did um, in the masters and the early PhD um, just because it continues to, I think be an under theorized aspect of, of, um, U.S. support for Israeli state violence, and and because so many, when I did the the sort of study of solidarity tours, so many of the um, U.S. based participants were actually youth pastors that are coming to Palestine on these these anti colonial pilgrimages, essentially, and coming to Palestine to do the work of reshaping their congregation's relationship to Zionism. So, doing the work to intervene in the Zionism with which they were raised and the Zionism that just inundates their communities. And I think that work is really valuable and I want to write about it. So the second book will turn to these long histories of Christian Zionism, but also these um, insistences on a a Christian anti-colonial relationship to Palestine that, that intervenes in in those long forms of Zionism that have been so sedimented within um, Christian communities in the U.S. Very interesting. Well, we'll certainly be looking forward to seeing these projects. Thank you very much, Jenny, for your time, for sharing your work with us. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. This was a wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you. The pleasure was all mine. 
I'm your host, Fulia Punar. This discussion of Invited to Witness Solidarity Tourism Across Occupied Palestine, written by Jennifer Kelly, is brought to you by the New Books Network. Thank you for listening.